Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to Homemaker Chic Podcast, where we are in the Christmas spirit. Last week, we talked about entertaining. We're doing that in red lips. We're doing it in no denim jumpers. And we are constantly refining and rescuing and surrendering to this art of homemaking. And we are so glad you are here. You're listening in Australia. You're listening in Norway. You're listening in England and all over the United States, and we hear from you guys all the time, and it really makes our day. And so welcome to another episode. We're pretty excited about this one because we're kind of going back to our season one roots, and we are going to blow open a topic for you, and you're going to leave today feeling super knowledgeable and savvy (laughs) uh, because we are welcoming uh, Todd from Dry Farm Wines, and he's going to give us the um, full 411 on food pairings, and just all the little ins and outs of wine. You're just going to feel like an expert. You're going to feel so professional. So my name is Angela Reed of ParisianFarmGirl.com, and my co-host is the beautiful Shay Elliott of ShayElliott.com. Hello. Hello. How are you? Monday. Monday, Monday. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Uh, Speaking of being an expert, Mm -hmm. so I've told you guys about my friend Natalie, who is a language expert. (laughs) (laughs) no brother and she would like me to tell everybody (laughs) (laughs) i have i have i get to expand on this go that (laughs) remember how we're always reading these austrian wines and it says osterich Uh uh-huh and we're like oh okay well that's the german word for austria so when you see osterich on a dry farm wines all that means is it's from austria (laughs) okay (laughs) And now Amelie, you know. was, Amelie was editing for Patreon the other day and she's like, wow, Shay's really, she's taking German. She's like, Shay's really killing it with the German. Yeah. She goes, I put subtitles underneath. Oh, come on, Amelie. Well, in my defense, I have had zero training on German. Also, I just have a pretty native it's, tongue, shall we say. It's just fabulous, Shay. <laughs> Thank you. just Fabulous. Thank you. Uh, Um, I'm actually watching this really interesting documentary. It's long, so it's taking me like four nights called uh, Icarus on Netflix, which is about kind of the steroid use and the Olympic sports. And (laughs) the stuff you watch with your free time kills me. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of interests. (laughs) Well, interesting premise. So this guy, he's racing, he like bikes, like, you know, Lance Armstrong bikes. Okay, okay. And he does this race, this amateur bike race, and he finishes 14th. And he realizes the people who are winning are like in this different category. Like, is there any way that they could be using steroids and not being caught? And so uh-huh. he decides to like pair up with this guy who just happens to be the head of the Russian anti-doping agency. And this guy gets him on a steroid regimen. And like the idea was I'm going to do this ri- this race totally doped up and just see if I can do better. Like. Oh. And if I can beat the tests. Anyway. Icarus, is that the one with the wings and Mercury that flew too close to the sun? The father yep. and son? Okay, okay. Yep. At least I yep. know my mythology. <laughs> yep. And uh, so anyway, I haven't finished it yet, but I do know kind of how the story ends because basically Russia got busted for this and realized uh-huh. they're doping almost all their athletes, but they know how to beat the test because of this scientist. Um, well, this poor science. So it was state-sanctioned steroid usage. Okay. So the government knew, 
you know, they were they were making it happen because they wanted to win. <laughs> anyway, interesting. It's okay. very interesting. Why was I talking about that? Oh, he's, I, have I no know. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> he's Russian pronunciation. He's Russian. And so I'm like listening to this. I'm like, this is a great opportunity to practice your Russian accent. Because anyway. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, there we, we have go. a new family friend and she's probably listening right now. And she speaks Russian very well. Oh, she impressive. does. Mm-hmm. I have I have heard that it is basically like the hardest language to learn. Well, you not only have that, but you have like it, so it's not like this accent that I mean, I suppose you hear it in movies like Bond bad guys and stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. we we know like a Spanish accent, we know a French accent, like how to imitate it. But you also have like the Cyrillic. It's not like you can like look at it and go, "Okay, I'm going to try to say this." No. Mhm. Mhm. No. Mm-hmm. No. It's just not even no. a thing. It's like when I look at Chinese, I'm like, I I I have zero idea. It could be saying anything. Right. No idea. None. Yeah. Nada. <laughs> like Hebrew. Oh, goodness. Right to left. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good stuff. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm looking forward to finishing it. It'll be great. Um, speaking of uh, languages that you can't read, in my rug in my living room, there is um, Arabic woven into the rug. And um, Annabelle has told me that is probably the artist's signature. He thought oh, cool. highly of himself and put his name in the rug. So we want to thank very much House of Tokuman for sponsoring season nine. That was like the baddest ass segue I've ever done, <laughs> ever. <laughs> thank you to House of Tokuman for sponsoring season nine. Be sure that you are visiting uh, hotrugs.net and using the coupon code HOMEMAKER25 because a savvy CEO makes good decisions and good investments for her home. And we think that a beautiful rug from House of Tokemon is the right move for you. This yes. Christmas, tell your husband, this is a one-shot wonder, 25% off. Show him which rug you want. The thing to do if you want to see all the rugs is to go to Instagram and follow them on Instagram at House of Tokemon because they're constantly educating on rugs. If you listen to Annabelle's stories or watch her stories every day and she's showing Rugs that sell so fast they don't even make it to the website. So you are welcome for that little mm-hmm. pro tip. Yes. They're so beautiful. Yes. And all price ranges. She's a, ladies, she even has stockings. So they've taken like fragments, remnants rather, and made stockings. So mm-hmm. if you want some really chic stockings for your mantle, visit uh, hotrugs.net. All right. I'm going to cue this wine music because Todd's, because Todd's here. Todd's We're in the just- green room. This is Todd's in the green room. He's about to come out. Here we go. Okay. Todd is here and we are ready to, this is fun. This, we do the wine segment every episode. We have this beautiful song that plays, but now we get to do it with the man himself. Right. So this is more fun. (laughs) It's totally fun. The the song is kind of like, it's our version of the girl from Ipanema. So we kind Mm -hmm. of rock out every week and sip our wine and Mm -hmm. talk about your fabulous company. So welcome (laughs) to the show, Todd. (laughs) Yes, uh, welcome. Uh, The last time you were here, season one, I think I was recording in my dumpy basement, which is still dumpy, by the way. I was on the front porch, (laughs) probably kids climbing on me. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it was actually pre-COVID, right? Oh, for sure. Was it? Or like- Oh, no, no. Because maybe a week or two in? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's been a, it's like a world ago that we talked, like a whole lifetime ago. So welcome. 
Oh, thanks. I'm happy to be here. It's great <laughs> to catch up. Uh, yes, a lot has changed. A lot mm-hmm. has changed, but uh, not a lot in wine has changed, but wine is still the same old bad character that it used to be, <laughs> at least the wines that we don't drink. But uh, yeah, but the world's a very different place. So yeah, I'm yeah. happy to be back. So you, I mean, you visited, you have visited every farm that you guys get wine from. Is that right? Well, not every single one. They're about now 900. So, yeah. So most of them, yes. And all of them will be visited. COVID, you know, COVID was a significant disruptor to our travel. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so, in fact, we were supposed to, or my wine team, not me, but uh, a, a group from the wine team who inspects and vets farms and travels around the world and meets with these people. And sometimes I do, but there's so many of them. We have people who do this. So they were scheduled to be in, to land in Austria this week, actually, but we had to cancel the trip because much of Austria is back in lockdown. Mm-hmm. And so... It's uh, so we haven't, you know, largely, yes, we visited most, certainly not absolutely all, certainly not new ones, but they go through a very rigorous uh, Q&A. And there are a lot of there are a lot of specifications and criteria that they have to agree to and meet. And again, this, you know, the natural wine world to think about it, it's not the way we think of like going to Napa Valley or Sonoma, or it's not, it's not a commercialized thing. These are like really kind of activist hippies who (laughs) just care about the earth and care about most of them are multi-generational landowners, their grandfather, their father, then them and so on and so forth. And so, you know, they're not, these are not really financially highly successful businesses because you can't make natural wine in very large quantities because native yeast fermentation doesn't support it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you're fermenting with, as I know you guys have talked about on your show, we talked about last time I was here, when you ferment with native wild indigenous yeast and not GMO lab cultured yeast, you can't make wine in very large quantities. So these are not like big enterprises. These are like small family farms. And so the other things, because they're like organic farmers, they're biodynamic farmers and biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. So because of their ethos and sort of these values that they hold dear to living soil and the earth and chemical free farming and protecting their family. And, you know, they're, they're not the kind of people who just BS you about what they're doing. You know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. They're like, mm-hmm. they're really salted. These are farmers who are like deeply committed to a craft and a way of life. Mm-hmm. And so even though we haven't visited a hundred percent of them largely because of COVID, you know, we interview them on zoom. We, they have this extensive questionnaire that they complete. We have lab results and all kinds of behind the scenes criteria that we require of them, even though we haven't actually visited them. The other thing is we also have production caps. Like we will not do business with a farm that produces over X number of hectare, right. Or X number of bottles, because we know that wines can't be made within our very strict criteria and make over X volume. 
you know, you, it just is not possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot behind the scenes, but yeah, as soon as COVID, well, mm-hmm. well, forget about COVID <laughs> as soon as international travel resumes, because yeah. we'll talk about, we don't sell any domestic wine. Yeah, uh, because there's no domestic wines that meet our health and purity criteria. Still so two years later, there's not. No, there's not really, and and, and the same That's reasons, mm-hmm. the same reasons today as it applied yesterday, which is or last year when we last spoke, which was the problem with domestic wines. Now there are some natural winemakers, and we only sell and drink natural wines. That's a confusing term to consumers because they're like, or aren't all wines natural? And they're not for some of the reasons we're going to talk about. But for now, we sell natural wine and drink natural wine. And there are about 25 or so natural winemakers in the United States. They just don't meet our criteria because our criteria is several notches above just being natural. So it must be natural, which we'll talk about what that means. But then it also has to be dry farmed, which means that it's irrigation free. And that knocks out almost everybody in the United States because more than 99% of vineyards in the U.S. are irrigated. And so then on top of that, um, you have uh, pricing, Right. And then alcohol. So alcohol styles in the United States, the style wine alcohol is just higher. We don't allow anything over twelve and a half percent. And then cost, because all of our bottles are priced the same and very reasonable, about twenty six dollars a bottle. And that includes shipping and shipping is expensive because uh, wine is very heavy. Mm -hmm. It's liquid packed in glass. And so um, so anyway. There are virtually no wines in the United States that are organically farmed, that are dry farmed, irrigation free, that are $25 a bottle at retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, you know, so that, so mm-hmm. it just, there's just nothing to look at in the United States. Now, the reason it's different in Europe is because, generally speaking, not always, but most of the time, these are multi-generational landowners. So these are second or third or fourth generation wine growers, right? And the land has long been paid for. And land mm-hmm. uh, there, uh, a hectare, which is uh, an approximation of an acre, not it's a little bit different. But or in Beaujolais, where some of the best gamets are grown in, in, in France, you can buy land for about 15,000 euro or let's call it eighteen or $19,000 here for a hectare, where an acre of land in Napa Valley, as an example, can be as high as a million dollars an acre, right? <laughs> and, when, and so, you know, so you, it's just a different financial equation. You know, you can't sell wine. Well, nobody in virtually in Napa makes money for the first two or three generations anymore because... You know, the people who are buying land there don't care about making money because they're zillionaires who (laughs) just want to own some architecturally significant winery and make, you know, Napa Cabernet and kind of it's part of their lifestyle, you know, Mm. so they don't care about making money. And then these bottles sell for hundreds hundreds of dollars each or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, but even at that, they don't make money because the land cost is so high. 
right? Because you, mm-hmm. because all these people are competing against people who don't care about land costs and don't care about making money. So it's kind of just all, you know, just a weird situation. Mm-hmm. But so, but let me, let's talk a second before we go further, sort of how we got here. So you're in the grocery store and you're in the wine aisle and there are like, you know, this long row of bottles, probably six or eight shelves deep. They're like, could be hundreds of thousands of bottles there, mm-hmm. hundreds of labels. <clears throat> and, you know, the same thing happens when you go on a bottle shop. It's that the bottle shop's typically smaller, the wine shop, because they don't have the capital to buy all that wine. They don't display it in the same way. So it's not always the same unless you go into like a really large wine retailer like BFMO or, you know, whoever. So, but let's talk about how we got to where we are with why wines are so unhealthy. Conventional wines, meaning wines that are not natural. So there are only two types of wine in the world from my perspective. There's natural wine and there's conventional wine. And everything that's not natural is conventional. And natural wines make up less than one-tenth of 1% of all the wine in the world. It's a very small category. So here's what happens when you go in the grocery store and you're innocently shopping for wines with a cute label or, you know, we or call it wine aisle anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Or, a, or what they call a neck hanger that has a rating on it from somebody who you may not mm-hmm. even know. Yeah. Right. The hundred point rating system. My mom would like you to know that she feels attacked. The wine spectator (laughs) sticker that gets slapped on the Exactly. So, but the wine spectator you see is a magazine that is advertising (laughs) driven. And so you might guess there's some politics involved in the ratings. Mm -hmm. Or one could guess. Uh, Seems to make sense. (laughs) So the neck hanger. So, you know, basically you're looking for a brand you know which is something you saw in a magazine or on TV or, you know, frequently on a wine list in a restaurant, a brand, you know, Americans buy brands. That's the reason I don't know anything about natural wines because none of them are big enough to be a brand. Mm -hmm. You buy the label, right? It's got a cute Mm -hmm. farmhouse on it. Maybe a chateau that seems important or an animal. I was going to say a a rooster. Yeah, exactly. Right. Animals sell a lot of wine. Americans are like, yes, or buy that one. It's the neck hanger slash rating <laughs> or pedigree, right? So anyway, that's kind of how wine's purchased. But <laughs> see what happened in the wine industry over the last 40 years is the same thing that happened in our food supply. So we've had massive corporate consolidation fueled by Wall Street money and greed. Now, none of these people are trying to make wine better or healthier trying to make wine faster and cheaper, which is why they irrigate, right? Because it's, it's cheaper to farm with irrigation. But the other thing that's missing, and to understand this story from the beginning of this Wall Street money and the consolidation of the industry, is that a bunch of multi-billion dollar conglomerates went around kind of rolling everything up as it's known in the industry. We're going to roll this up into one big pie. And so today, and everything I'm going to share with you today is easily verifiable on a Google search. Super easy. So the top three multi-billion dollar wine manufacturers in the United States make over 50% of U.S. wines. 
Now, you wouldn't know that when you walk in the grocery store because you got a whole bunch of different brands and labels meant to confuse you. And again, it might have a farmhouse because they want you to believe in their marketing scheme that you're drinking from some farmhouse when, in fact, you're more likely drinking from a massive wine factory located in Central California. So the top 30 companies in the United States make over 70% of U.S. wines. So all those wines are generally made by a handful of people, right? Multi-billion dollar marketing conglomerates. So their job is not to make better, healthier wine. Their job is to sell wine, right? So that's kind of the foundation of why we ended up with the problem in conventional wines that exist today. And the problem is that they're filled with things you don't know anything about. (laughs) And so there's 76 additives. You can search FDA-approved wine additives on Google, and the list will come right up for you. There are 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. Some of these additives are quite toxic. And in fairness, many of them are natural. And some of them are animal products as well, if you care about... (laughs) Uh, vegan issues, or if you care about animal rights and issues, there are two of these additives are actually animal products. So what are those? What would they, nothing says wine, like animal products. (laughs) I don't. Yeah. So there are two, uh, they're fairly benign, but for people who care about this, they, they really care about it. Right. So one is egg whites. So egg whites are used in a process called fining, and fining is a process after filtration to bring better clarity to the wine or what's known as lipidity in the wine business, which is the clarity of wine. See, Americans believe that the clarity of wine is important to its quality. There's no truth to that. In fact, just the opposite is more likely true. And so, but people want to feel really, they just, they want a clear, super clear wine. So what happens with fining is that the egg whites, which are protein, the particles, the sediment particles that are naturally floating around in wine Mm -hmm. uh, adhere to the protein and it falls to the bottom of the barrel. That's a problem. The other one is a similar process, only using fish bladders. Yay. So, yeah. So you can have fish bladder in your wine. So, and both of those additives you would see are on the approved list of, um, but the big nasty one is called dimethyl dicarbonate, which is a very toxic chemical used to treat the most common bacterial fault in wines known as Bretomyces. And tens of millions of gallons of wine are treated with it every year. So, um, this kind dimethyl- of re- this kind of reminds me of like the vegetable oil taking over the the lard and the butter, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you have mass produced, right? Highly you know Canola, toxic yeah, chemical garbage. oils added yeah. to everything. Everything, yeah. So, yeah. but you know, so I'm a I'm kind of like. I'm a really fair guy. I'm just like, oh, okay, well, if you want to use dimethyl dicarbonate, if you want to drink that, then I'm all down with that. I don't want to drink it. Mm-hmm. But um, 
if you want to drink it, that's that's groovy. If you want to drink fish bladder, it's great. I don't want to drink it. So I so that leads us to the next point. Well, how is this happening? Well, it's happening because there's a lack of disclosure mm-hmm. because there's no contents label on a bottle of wine. Or in mm-hmm. never mind, there's also no nutritional information. But there's no contents label, and that's not an accident. See, the wine industry has lobbied and spent millions of dollars in powerful lobby money in Washington, D.C. to keep contents labeling off of wine because they don't want you to know what's in it. And so for the reasons I've just talked about, they don't want to disclose. See, conventional wines are a highly processed food, not unlike breakfast cereal, Mm -hmm. right? It's just a highly Mm -hmm. processed food Mm -hmm. that's made in a factory. And although... The story they want to tell you or have you believe is that, you know, there's something wholesome about it. That's called marketing, (laughs) right? And so, uh, and they have schools for that, teach you how to market, right? Teach you how to mislead people. Mm -hmm. So that, that, which is the reason I say, you know, Google search anything I'm telling you because I'm not here spending marketing. I'm here spending the truth. I'm not here selling wine. I'm here selling education. Right. So it surprises a lot of people to hear me say the following. Alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin and ruins millions of lives every year. And some people just shouldn't drink at all. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about education, I think about drinking, I think about what I'm drinking, how I'm drinking it, where I'm drinking it, who I'm drinking it with. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's it's more thinking about approaching alcohol with an intention, approaching alcohol with the idea of tapping in, not checking out. If you're drinking to check out, you probably shouldn't be drinking, mm-hmm. right? So I want to tap into a euphoric state. I don't want to check out into oblivion, mm-hmm. which is only also the reason why I only drink low alcohol wines and we only sell low alcohol wines. And we're the only wine company really out there talking about low alcohol wine <laughs> yep. because Seems you're so going to feel better. It. Yeah, counterintuitive for the uh, bottom line. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and well, look, it's not it's not great for business because alcohol. See, the reason the wine industry and alcohol levels in conventional wine have been rising for the last thirty years, the wine industry likes alcohol because alcohol is addictive, and uh, alcohol is what I call a domino drug. And what I mean by that is that the more you drink. The quicker you drink, the more likely you are to drink more. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been my experience over my mm-hmm. adult life. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you all have experienced similar <laughs> situations. So we so, did a we did a season a couple seasons back called Better Not More. Mm-hmm. And right. you know, we were really, really specific about about, you know, sort of banding together with dry farms because we knew you shared this philosophy. And I think for the average housewife, they're actually not even used to spending $26 on a bottle of wine. Like that, that might seem double or even triple with with what they're used to spending. But we sort of try to encourage women to think of it like you're having one glass of something beautiful, something rich, something that puts money in farmers' pockets, something that is that does help you to tap in to this wonderful, beautiful, natural yeasted world. And we're having one glass. And maybe that means you can't afford to have 
four glasses. And that's actually probably a good thing. Probably better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so kind of to switch your mind around, have one better glass of wine, not six, you know, what's that? Charles Schwab. Is that one of that? No, no. Two 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 buck buck Chuck. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Which is now three ninety nine. So the joke is over. Less. <laughs> yeah, if you know, if you're, you know, it. Mm-hmm. The less you pay, the more chemicals you're drinking. I assure you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and you just can't buy a quality bottle of organic, additive free wine for under twenty dollars. Just mm-hmm. not possible mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And most of them range price. between twenty five and thirty five. And we sell wines. Yeah all at the same price. Every single bottle is the same price, although they don't obviously don't cost us the same price. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. one could be a little bit more, one could be a little bit less. We just came to a formula that said it's simpler just to sell everything at the same price mm-hmm. and take out the pricing component for people because, you know, people oftentimes think, well, there's no truth to this statement. People think the more I pay for a bottle, the better it is. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a point where the less you pay for it, it becomes bad. Right. But once you get it $25 in a head, there's no kind of like $25 or $50. There's no, there, there's just because it costs $50 doesn't mean it's twice as good or mm-hmm. that it's even better at all. However, there are many, te- the many, 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 you know, blind consumer tests that have been done on this. If you hand them two paper bags with a bottle of wine in it, <clears throat> And they both contain the same wine. And you tell the group that one is $20 and the other one's $90. They will always pick the $90 one as the better wine. <laughs> it's right. like the milk is sour, right? Right. So. Okay. Angela and I would like to invite all of our Homemaker Chic listeners to stock up right now on the beautiful flowers, baking gifts, and olive oils provided by our longtime friends at Jovial Foods. Visit jovialfoods.com and fill your cart with rich and buttery einkorn flour the only wheat variety that's never been hybridized, and a flour that even those with a gluten sensitivity can often digest with ease because of its wheat gluten. Einkorn flour is the flour that we bake our everyday breads and all our holiday cookies and cakes with. Jovialfoods.com also sources the freshest, most beautiful olive oil available to those of us who want a taste of Italy on our table. I've been to these groves and I've watched how this olive oil was pressed. Its freshness is absolutely divine. The special olive oil makes the most wonderful gift and is only available while supplies last. So visit jovialfoods.com and fill your cart with ruby red jarred Italian tomatoes, cannellini beans, einkorn flour, cookies, crackers, wheat berries for grinding your own flour, and this year's special olive oil. If you're feeling stuck in your kitchen, uninspired, and frankly not loving the food that you've been putting on the table, I want to personally invite you to join the Elliott Homestead cooking community. Visit cook.theelliotthomestead.com to get started. As a cooking community member, you will get five farm fresh inspired recipes each month created from my farm kitchen and delivered straight to you. I'll also send you a thorough instructional video showing you how to create the dish in your own kitchen with tips, tricks, and pointers to help you learn new skills and advance in your cooking abilities. The cooking community is designed to get you passionate about good food, to get you fired up, to get you skilled up, to get you excited about cooking and serving up delicious whole food-based dishes on your table. Visit cook.theelliotthomestead.com right now. Choose the membership package that's right for you and let's get cooking. 
Also, if you're looking to give a gift this holiday season, I'd love for you to visit cook.theelliothomestead.com forward slash a dash l a dash C-A-R-T-E. That's a la carte to shop a few special recipe packages of various sizes and topics that are perfect for gifts and come with a physical gift card in the mail. Let's get cooking. Yeah, but so anyway, you know, so you've got secrecy, lack of transparency, these additives, chemical farming, uh, factory manufacturing. This is what's this is what's faster cheaper, not better, healthier. That's what's happening in conventional wines. Now, what is a natural wine? Natural wine is a very, very tiny category, uh, as I mentioned earlier, but natural wines are always organic or biodynamically farmed. So chemical-free farming and biodynamic farming is a prescriptive form, a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. So they're always organic or biodynamic farmed. Then native yeast fermentation, and this is a, mm-hmm. the, probably the most confusing of the three elements of natural wine. Native yeast, wild indigenous yeast, is collected on the skin of every grape in the world at harvest. It's a white, waxy film. You can scrape it off with your fingernail, it, it, but it's actually yeast, and it's gathered through the air. It's indigenous and wild to the vineyard where the grape is grown. Natural winemakers always ferment with this wild indigenous native yeast in what's called a spontaneous fermentation. Now, why is it called spontaneous? Because you don't have to inoculate the juice with yeast. The yeast is already present. And so once it reaches a temperature where the yeast will activate, then the yeast immediately begins to eat sugar, and that's fermentation. Now, conventional winemakers don't use this yeast, Instead, they pour sulfur dioxide, which is one of the FDA-approved additives. They pour sulfur dioxide in the tank of juice to kill the native yeast, and then they inoculate the wine, which is why it's not spontaneous. Mm -hmm. They kill it. Then they inoculate it with this GMO lab-cultured yeast. Now, the reason they do that is because these lab-cultured yeasts are very strong, they're grown to be vigorous. Uh, they can You can make wine in unlimited quantities with them. With the wild native yeast, it's too fragile. It's too difficult, it's, it's too difficult to work with. And so you have to coddle it and constantly be uh, grooming it, right, to keep, the, to keep the fermentation alive and to keep the yeast alive. These lab-grown yeasts are grown to be and modified to be very sturdy. And so... While you can make unlimited quantities of wine with the lab-grown yeast, the native yeast, the wild yeast, you can't make wine in very large quantities. It's too temperamental. So a couple other notable things about the lab-grown commercial yeast. One, they will withstand a higher alcohol environment. Uh, and, and since we only drink and make drink and sell low alcohol wines is not an issue for us, but for many wine makers, they, because for a variety of reasons, including irrigation and higher sugar levels at the time of picking, alcohol levels have risen. Uh, It's also a winemaking style because alcohol adds density to a wine, which is the reason, as you know, from drinking our wines, they oftentimes taste lighter and fresher than what conventional wines taste like because they're lower in alcohol. That's one of the reasons. They don't have sugar and additives or other reasons, but alcohol adds density. But these 
commercial yeast are modified to withstand a high alcohol environment. Native yeast will be killed by high alcohol. And when you kill the yeast, then you have what's called a broken fermentation, which is a very gigantic problem in the winemaking process, right? Because then you got to find a way to get this fermentation restarted, which is very difficult. And so you can lose you can lose wine if you have a broken a broken fermentation. And then the third reason is that these wines, these yeasts, can be purchased in different flavor profiles. Oh, these lab grown yeasts. So if you oh, have this, <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing. Here's how you'll know this is really common sense for okay. people who uh, who know anything about baking. So during the pandemic, particularly, you know, there was a, uh, you know, there was a sourdough kind of craze. Oh, it was a revolution. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so people were like trading the mother around, you know, I've got this great mother yeast and, you know, because the yeast impart a different complexity of flavor. So you know that from baking sourdough because everybody's like always searching for somebody else's mother yeast, right? Because mm -hmm. their yeast is more complex. Well, you can grow yeast the same way. So when you modify them, you can actually modify them to have various flavor components. Okay. So anyway, I don't want to drink that, but you know, that's just me. I think you, I think the label should state these processes. I think the label should state contents. And I think the label should state nutritional information. Mm -hmm. And the, fine th the fine, final third thing is that there are no additives in natural wine. So there's no dimethyl dicarbonate, which is a highly toxic, toxic additive we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So there's no, and if you search dimethyl dicarbonate on Google, you'll see a Wikipedia page that says hazard colon toxic. Nice. Right? So this is nice, nice, mm -hmm. right? So anyway, that's, that's sort of what's happened now, at Dry Farm Wines, we have criteria, as I mentioned, is way above just natural. So we're doing lab testing. Our wines are sugar-free. They're irrigation-free. Uh, they're lower in alcohol. We have wines as low as 7%, no higher than 12.5%. Most U.S. wines today are around 15%. And as you know from drinking our wines, this lower alcohol, while it doesn't sound like much, makes a huge difference in how you feel. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge. I love uh, you talking about these sourdough cultures because I have taken to the term because I think it helps people to understand this. I yeah. do think um, I always refer to dry farm wines as sort of the sourdough of the wine world mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. commercial yeast, if you're breaking, let's say a sandwich loaf with a commercial yeast, it's about 500 times stronger than sourdough. And right. so- when you use it, you're like, this is like nuclear. So easy. <laughs> it's just so right. easy. Where sourdough, you kind of have to yeah. sit there and you have to come on, baby. And if it's, you know, a cold day, you have to like right. put it in the right spot and, right. you know, blow on it three times and jump on your left leg twice. And then it's the same thing. It's, it's exactly the same, the same thing. thing with native yeast. <laughs> right. <clears throat> exactly the same thing, which yeah, right. is why you can't make these breads. Mm -hmm. in high volume and you can't yeah. make natural wine in high volume. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, which is why we deal with so many, so hundreds and hundreds of small family farms because nobody can scale this product because it's not scalable. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a natural handcrafted product, just like artisanal sourdough bread is not scalable. Mm -hmm. Even for the biggest bakeries, it's not scalable. Right. It just right? takes too long. I mean, it takes, it just takes 20 too long hours. And it's too <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's tedious. And if you're not paying like, attention to it, 
you know, it, you, yeah. it won't rise correctly. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is like nature's way of just being like, this is a, this is a beautiful thing for you to enjoy, but you don't really get to have that much of it because we can't actually grow that well, much I, of I it. Think, you know, <laughs> here, it, look, natural farmers, natural wine growers will tell you universally. First of all, when you go visit a natural wine grower, there's no tasting room. There's not even a tasting in the beginning. The, the, the thing they want to do is immediately take you to the vineyard. Mm-hmm. You don't go into, you don't go to a barrel room. You don't okay. sit down. You, the very first thing that happens universally is they want to take you to the vineyard. And because the wine buying season really is between January and April, because that's the time when the, the grower has finished their bottling late in the year. Mm-hmm. And before they have to start tending vines at bud break, uh, for most of them, it's different if you're in a different hemisphere, but Europe's in the mm-hmm. same hemisphere as we are. South America's the same hemisphere. South Africa, where we have a handful of growers, different growing season. But Europe's the same growing season, mm-hmm. which is where most of our farmers are because the natural wine revolution sort of was born in central France. So at least the modern revolution of it. I mean, prior to... 75 years ago, everybody was making natural wine, right? It was just with the advent of additives and the change of manipulations that this Mm. all, and irrigation was Mm. not even introduced to American wine growing until the 1970s. So, so when, um, when you, the buying season is between January and April, where it's really, really cold in Central Europe. I mean, really cold. It's wet, cold, windy, snowing. But even still, they these farmers will take you to the vineyard and talk about the soil, and they'll stand out there. These these men and women are tough, right? I mean, they're like they're like farmers. <laughs> you know, I'm going out there, and it is cold, <laughs> wet, windy, snowing. And I'm like thinking, this is really uncomfortable, right? But they'll stay out there sometimes like an hour talking about the soil and having you hold this cold soil. Sometimes it's wet, full of rocks. <laughs> it's just like, this is their thing. It's all about the soil. Yeah. And so then after all that, then you might go into some barrel room or, you know, someplace, some cellar. It's not set up as a tasting room. It's, it's very oftentimes dark and cold in there too you know, where, where you would taste wines or sometimes you taste them in their family home in the kitchen or something, you know, but there's nothing mm-hmm. like where I live in, I have a home in Napa Valley and I lived there for many years, you know, tasting rooms are beautiful, mm-hmm. right? They're architectural gems. They're like, it's entertainment, you know, natural wine thing. is not like that. I don't have any <laughs> kind of money like that. So, um, I yeah, love so this. It's, it's, it's just really about <laughs> right. It's just really about the soil. Well, you'll have to go sometime and see it for yourself. Because well, it's tell pretty, me this, Todd. Are there any growers for dry farms in Croatia? Yes. See, I've heard Croatia is very open. Yeah, so they, is- they, there are. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, we have we have wine growers all over. Okay. Uh, the EU and the you know and the continents. Uh, even if they're not in the EU, a lot in the Eastern Bloc, a lot. Um, although they're most prevalent, you know, mm-hmm. in the countries where you would think France, Italy, yeah. Spain, uh, but 
also Hungary, uh, Croatia, mm-hmm. um, you know, just um, yeah. Greece. Um, yes. The answer is yes, Todd. We will. Yeah, exactly. The answer is yes <laughs> to Greece. We're coming someday. It's happening. So, but so, you should uh-huh. definitely, yeah, come on a trip. So when these, we used to take people on trips all the time. So, you know, just come along with us and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, uh, and usually the lodging's free. We usually stay on the farm and, the, you know, like the 90 year old grandmother always cooks and it's like so awesome. Oh, I'll sleep on the floor. Uh, So we went went into a vineyard very much like what you're describing the last time we were in Italy. And we went down to one of those cold barrel rooms. There was no tasting room. Like the foreman lived in the house that was on the property and it was very run down. And so the people I was with there said, okay, can we taste some? So he opens up a barrel and he gets, what is it like called the bung or is that what it's called? Were you? Uh, The thief. The thief. The bung is the thing that goes (laughs) on top. So Don't you're you're part way there. I was close. The bung is the thing the that fills the barrel. Okay. The plug. The bung is the plug. <laughs> well, the, the best the, part was he like didn't have any you know glasses. This is not like you said. This isn't for entertainment. So he finds like two old glasses on the shelf, completely covered in cobwebs, and right. he just he takes them down, blows them off, and just pours it right in. And I held it up nice. to the light and I took a picture and it was just dusty and there was fingerprints all over it and cobwebbed. And yeah, this you know, is very much magic. the way it is. This is very much the way it is. <laughs> this is how our life is. Just, yeah. yeah. Weird. We yeah. don't live Shay in the Napa both, Valley of life. <laughs> Jay and I are both farmers. So we'll, we'll stand out there and play in the dirt for an hour. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, um, yeah. Uh, it's just kind of unique because this buying season is, and now I travel, I quit going on those trips uh, a couple of years ago because I have a bunch of kids, young 20 something year olds who go do that. And, um, and I was just like, I can't do this, mm-hmm. but then I travel in the spring and summer and fall and, mm-hmm. and, and do my own thing with, uh, but this buying season is very intense. Right. Sure. I mean, cause it's just like their natural wine fairs, uh, which mm-hmm. there were a couple of this year, but not many they'll, probably resume next year in earnest, but there were a couple in the winter of 2021, not many, but normally it's about 50, mm. 50 natural wine fairs. There are only natural wines there. Uh, all these people know each other. They're all networked. There's only about a 1,200 in the world and where there are a couple hundred thousand wineries in the world. You know, There's only about 1,200 of these wine mm-hmm. growers <clears throat> who grow naturally, so it's a really, really small segment of the industry. 1%. But yeah. yeah, yeah, this is tiny. Well, maybe and if so, this uh, podcast thing doesn't work out, maybe Angela and I sort of have a second career option. Right. Then. Exactly. Like you could be natural wine buyers. Right. Uh, yes. But when you go to these fairs, it's really <laughs> intense because it could be like 100 growers in there and you have like taste 500 wines. Challenge right. accepted. Challenge. It's harder than you think. Trust me. <laughs> no, I'm sure it is. You, I talk a big game, but I usually drink half a glass oh a day. God. Like it's, it's, it's pun- I can't too, do it. So. It's punishing. First of all, you get palate fatigue after a while, and you're like, "Well, I can't yeah. taste this anymore because sure. I've tasted like 200 <laughs> wines." So you get what's called palate fatigue. But even though you're spitting, yeah. And I'm not much of a spitter, but even though you're spitting, I mean, you're still ingesting alcohol. I mean, after it takes its toll after a while. Sure. Then not only do you have palate fatigue, but you you're delusional as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can I ask you a really basic, potentially very stupid question? Do it, Shay. Okay, I will. 
I'm asking this for the homemaker who's listening to this podcast. Um, if, if when she's just sort of enjoying, you know, a glass of wine in her kitchen, she's cooking supper for her family and it's Monday night and she pours half a glass of dry farms. Does it make a significant difference? What glass she drinks it out of? Yes. And no, <laughs> but mainly yes. So here, here, here's the reason. And this is a great question and an important point. So about half of the wine experience is aromatic, the perfumes of the wine, mm. right? So how the wine smells. And the aromatics are best expressed in a, 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 a larger bowl, like the one you're drinking from, mm-hmm. with a lot of headspace. Hold that glass up. Is this, I don't want to, and I'm afraid it's going to be the wrong one. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a great glass because you can see the bowl of the glass is is generous, but yes. also the headspace. And the headspace is the space between the top of the wine and the top of the glass. Okay. So see, that headspace allows for a proper expression of the aromatics of the wine. And so if you have, the more wine you have in the glass, the less headspace you have and the less expressive the aromatics can be because they don't have space to be expressive, right? Sure. Okay. Okay. Yes. The other thing by pouring a smaller pour like you have or a little smaller even, when you pour a smaller pour, then you can have kind of more experiences with it, right? So you could have three small pours and Mm -hmm. that would be like the same as a large pour that you might get in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Because in a restaurant, you're always going to get a large pour because they don't want you to perceive that you're getting what's called a short pour. So right. in other words, you didn't pour me enough for what I paid for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and then even if you bring your own bottle or you have bought a bottle, the waiter or service person will overfill your glass anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Not because some people say because they're trying to sell more wine. I don't agree with that. I think they just don't know. And they think you want them to pour a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. The ones it's like crazy. they see that come across the bar, yeah. which mm-hmm. are poured too tall. Yep. So in theory, actually, if you're in a restaurant and you want to properly experience a glass of wine, you should get a second glass that's empty, Right. Because they're going to pour you and you want to make sure and you want to feel like you got your full pour. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like, oh, they got a short pour on that. <laughs> now, the restaurants who have it really figured out bring this little craft, a small craft that's a pre-measured pour anyway for them, mm-hmm. right? So they get the same pour every size. And then they pour a little bit in and they leave the little craft. It's probably about four or five inches tall. It's not big. Yeah. Like a little uh, glass milk jug almost. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's a five ounce serving. Yeah. And they'll yeah. pour, they'll pour a little bit in your glass and then set it down and then you can pour yourself or they'll put that's the real professional, right? Cause they know that that headspace matters mm-hmm. and they know that if they short pour you for proper headspace, you're going to feel like you got ripped off. In fact, you did. Yeah. Right. Cause they're going to pour about two or two and a half ounces of wine. And then le- and then leave that space in the glass. Right. Does that make sense? It does. And that actually kind of segues to another question that I did want to ask you. Do you decant your red wines? And is that important? No, I don't. 
Okay. And, but here's the reason. Now, there are some red wines that should be decanted. Natural wines are not that type of wine. Okay. See? So, Is it because they don't store as long? So there's It's less- because of the way they're made, okay. the density in which they're made. And so they're just made lighter with less extraction, which mm-hmm. comes from the maceration of the time the fruit spends on the skin. We're talking about red wines. Yeah. Because white wines don't get to count it. Right. Almost never. But- I mean, in rare cases, there would be certain white wines that could be decanted, but it'd be super rare. So we're really talking, when you're talking about decanting, we're talking about red wines. So yeah. um, if a red wine is older, then it may have um, unattractive sediment in it. That's different than an unfiltered wine. This is a sediment and crystallization mm-hmm. of the wine that's happened over time. Yeah. And it has a very coarse texture and you don't want to drink it. Yeah. Right. And so wines are, yes, very sandy. So you Mm -hmm. wines are decanted. Um, and then that sediment is left in the bottle. Right. And so if you have to decant an older red wine, you might have an inch or so of wine that's still left in the bottle, even a really expensive bottle. It's like there's an inch or so of wine that's left in the bottle of it because that's when the sediment starts to seep out of the bottle. Mm -hmm. So, but the other reason to decant a red wine is to open it up because it's too tight mm-hmm. and it's too compressed and too big, right? Because of the style of the wine and the way it was made. And it's just like it needs some air to open up and express itself. Natural wines are not made that way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've never decanted a natural wine. I've decanted many other wines, but not. I don't drink those other wines anymore, but no, you I never decant, okay. never decant. Okay. A, in fact, if you decant a wine that's already open and expressive like natural wines, you'll actually, if you, you actually progress the wine too fast, right? So it'll be, it'll open up too quickly. Okay. And yeah. you'll lose part of its, part of its soul. Yeah. I do know what, actually, I know what you're talking about. I'm like, I'm surprised. I'm like, yes, I've, I've actually experienced this when I was like, do I decant these? Do I not? So yeah. Okay. That's super helpful. So we have just a couple minutes left. I would love for you with our audience looking at entertaining for the holidays um, to just give the basics of food pairings, because I think that's going to help give them some confidence in the kitchen as they're having company over and, um, Getting thing, uh, getting everything arranged. I know they're placing their dry farms orders. You know, <laughs> choosing between red and white and bubbly. So, if you can give a little Here. rundown of of basics, maybe just outside of you know red. With Let me see that bottle. What is that? Yeah. So this is a Chenin Cab Franc. Right. Two, okay. 2020. Do you know which right. one this is? So, do you guys know about our wine app? Have you used it? <gasps> no. No. <laughs> okay. Well. What? Come on. So, yeah, like so, so you can just put a, you can put the, the dry wine farm app? wines wine app on your smartphone. <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness. And you can just take a photograph of the label and it has photo recognition and it will tell you all about the wine. <laughs> Dang it. It'll Boom. tell you what to pair the wine with. It'll give you tasting notes, so on and so forth. It's super straightforward and easy to use. Anybody can use it. We're sorry, audience. But that's okay. We didn't that's all right. know. <laughs> now you know the Dry Farm Wines wine app. You can put it on your smartphone. But let's oh, get I'm back so to the pairing that. notes for a second. So <laughs> generally speaking, 
and particularly true of conventional wines, you would have red pairings and white pairings. Now, not true with natural wines because there are many natural wines that are made so light, and this is a style of wine that I drink and prefer, are made so light and the alcohol level is so lead, they're, they're what we call fish reds, right? Mm-hmm. They're so light and f- fresh that you could drink I this totally white. do this. You could drink this red wine yeah. with white fish, and it's a great pairing. Conventional wines, not so much. Mm-hmm. Conventional wines, and particularly the winemaking style in the United States, is so big and heavy that you've got to eat a heavy protein, elk, mm-hmm. a beef, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. lamb. You've got to eat to, to, in order to have any pairing because the wine is so overpowering and mm-hmm. the alcohol levels are too high. Mm-hmm. you got to have a very, very dense food for it. But the style of wine we sell is lighter and fresher, and certain ones, and the wine app will tell you this, certain ones are super light, and are, there's actually a classification we call fish red, which is it's so light. Now, I personally drink red wine with everything, but generally speaking, for shellfish, although I drink red wine with shellfish, but but generally speaking, white wines are going to pair better with shellfish, particularly oysters, shrimp, uh, lobster, um, scallops. These are going to be all traditionally white wine pairings, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing for, for, for fish. Now, we get into poultry like turkey. Now we're into kind of a mid-zone, mm-hmm. right? So either wine could have a light red, not a traditional big red, a light red or a white. A sparkling also pairs quite well with shellfish. So uh, sparkling or white with shellfish, a light red or white with, with, with fowl. And then typically speaking, you would always serve a red wine with heavier proteins like beef or lamb or mm-hmm. any, any kind of heavier thing like that. And so, so- I think of, you know, a tr- very traditional pairing is, you know, sparkling wines and, and caviar or uh, sparkling wines and, and, and shellfish for, for holiday appetizers. Or anything. Yeah, or just any <laughs> sparkling wine and anything. So, it's my very favorite. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's, you know, you just, it's pretty much common sense. It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't, as long as the wines are well made and balanced, they're going to fit well into these categories. So yep. like the white wine we sell is, again, very crisp, very mineral driven, very terroir right. driven, very, it's a, they're very light and expressive. Yeah. You know, unlike what you would find, like with the buttery oaked up Chardonnay that right. you might find in California is not, mm-hmm. is not friendly to, um, it's not friendly to food. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, Great way uh, the wine competes with the food. Yeah. And so you're just tasting the wine and then the food gets lost. And what you want is this marriage between the two. And mm-hmm. so removing alcohol and removing oak, but removing alcohol in particular makes wine way more food friendly mm-hmm. because there's, I mean, you don't sit down and say, I'll have a vodka with my salad, right? <laughs> right. Food and wine I mean, f- food and alcohol are not compatible. What's out, what it's the nuance of the aromatics and the flavor of wine that become the pairings and the acidity. Mm-hmm. And so the lighter a wine is, 
hence the lower the alcohol, the more water is in it, the more food friendly it is. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's that's one thing start- too. I wish that people could understand is I think because they're so used to these overly alcoholed, overly heavy, super beefy, like punch you in the face wines. Right. That I think a lot of people think I don't like wine. I don't like, I wine. don't, I don't right. like red wine. I only right. like sweet whites. And yeah. you know, like I, I so badly wish those people could just taste. So they don't understand. Parts. I never understood totally like food pairings. <laughs> I, it all tastes the same to me. Yeah. Right. Like you got a big, you got a big California cab. It's a big California cab. I I don't know. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, until you experience the nuances, particularly of a natural wine and particularly of a lower alcohol wine, the the nuances of that and sugar free, I might add. Yeah. Right. Then you start to taste something that really, you know, the wine you're drinking, the uh, Cab Franc Mm -hmm. is a medium a high medium density wine, right? I mean, it's not heavy, but it's not light either. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of in the medium high range yep. and would be better paired with nothing like you're drinking it now <laughs> or uh, or would be better paired with uh, cheeses. The certain cheeses would stand up to it or, you know, I, I wouldn't drink that wine with a shellfish. Mm-hmm. It's, just, right. it's just, it's just too, it's just a little too large. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would drink it with 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 chicken or turkey or certainly any other kind of animal proteins. But well, I was um, I was drinking it with some shaved parmesan earlier. Oh, that works. That and it works. was beautiful. Parmesan will stand up to that for sure. <laughs> for sure. It was or blue fabulous. cheese or denser sure. denser cheeses will stand up with parmesan's like. I mean, how do you go wrong with eating Parmesan? You don't. Ever? You don't. <laughs> it's my favorite food in the world. <laughs> exactly. And I'll this be is my Franc and Parmesan. You just yeah. like, it's a new diet. I know. It's right. my two two favorite things. Um, nice. Well, our time is up, but as always, the conversation just could continue on forever and ever. And I guess we'll just have to continue it in Croatia, uh, preferably in the summertime when it's Let's beautiful. It. Actually, I'm going <laughs> to Croatia this summer. So Hot. summer 22. Sure. The yes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so you guys, you guys should come yes. along. Yeah. Yes. Let's do this. All right. We'll talk off the air about this. Um, all right, ladies, thanks for being here. Visit Thank you. dryfarmwines.com forward slash homemaker chic. We're going to make sure to find a list of those ingredients that those 76 ingredients that Todd touched on in the beginning and put those yeah. in the show notes so that I'll you can give a look. Um, we'll also make sure to put a link to the app so that you can download that. Didn't know that existed. Very excited about that. And then of course our links so that you can get stocked up with the wines of your choosing for the holidays, whether that's reds, whites or bubbles or all of the above. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be on with us, Todd. We really appreciate it. Really. Awesome, You're a busy John. man. Happy holidays. Yeah, you, you as well. We'll Thank talk later. Christmas. All right, guys. See you back here. Cheers. <laughs>